welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasetta from Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Peter Bagshaw, GP and uh, Commissioning Group uh, Clinical Lead for Mental Health. And our topic today is leaving a legacy, and we're really pleased to welcome Dr. Tom McConnell, consultant cardiologist from Somerset Foundation Trust. Welcome, Tom. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. That's great. And just a little bit about you, Tom, how long have you been in Somerset? Because you haven't got an exactly Somerset accent. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself. I, I'm an interloper, as you recognise. Uh, I I moved to Somerset in 1995, having left Glasgow in 1989 to move down to Bristol. Uh, met my wife in Bristol, who regarded Scotland as being too cold and wet. So uh, we moved to Somerset where it's just wet. Right. <laughs> Lovely. And today's title that you've kindly come along to talk about us is, is Leaving a Legacy. And that's obviously a log- legacy in Somerset and not in Glasgow. Tell us, what, what does leaving a legacy mean and what's it all about? Well, one of the things that we're all very good at, I'm sure we've all been to uh, events after someone has died, and we're very good at talking about our good memories of someone, and that helps us all come to terms with the loss of that loved one. But, But we're very bad at talking about those good things when people are still alive, And the curious thing is that actually, if we plan lots of stuff in life, we we will do uh, uh, maternity planning, we will do all all sorts of things when we're going on holiday, but but something that's common to us all, it's part of what makes us human, is we will die someday. And we tend to avoid that. Um, And... That that I think if we can normalise what is a, what makes us human, uh, that we can we begin to 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 start to address some of the real problems that arise because we have as a society we've almost come to regard death as an optional extra, um, and it, it it it's it's. But we're much more than that. And if we can celebrate what is good about life with those who we love when we're still alive, that what we will do is make our death when it happens much easier for those who we leave behind. And they often say, don't they, that death is the last taboo. And yet along with taxes, as you say, it's the one certainty. So why is it still a taboo and how can we get around that? For us all, you know, there are a number of ways that we can address. Denial is a great way of avoiding a difficult problem, uh, would be my take on it. Yes, if you ask 100 people how they are, they all say fine, which which stands for fearful, insecure, neurotic and emotionally imbalanced. And, and that's the polite version. But when it comes to death, obviously, Tom, you're about to tell us more about people's mechanisms for avoiding it. Fear, would that be part of it? I think that none of us like unknowns. It, it, the, the, you know, even for those of us who, who might have fantastic faith in an afterlife, there is still an element of unknown. Uh, and we as human beings have always feared the unknown. Uh, uncertainty, you know, that, that uh, it, it, it is it's something we're uncomfortable with. 
And what practical things do you think we can do to reduce that fear and uncertainty? How should we go about making plans for something that we would naturally want to just avoid and run away from? Well, I think where we start is with what's important to us. Um, and the fascinating thing, and I'm sure both of you as general practitioners will know that the thing that really makes people light up is not when they're talking about things. It's usually when they're talking about people you get you 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 that's when suddenly you'll you know the, the stories about the grandchildren or the stories about spouses or those are the things that really make individuals light up and make us interested in themselves so so where I think we have to start is let's talk about what's important like I, I was recently chatting to my father who's He's getting on a bit now, and certainly not as nimble as he once was. And he was talking about how during the war, he and his brother were stopped by one of the local policemen because they had an air gun. Now, that was just such a lovely story to hear from him. But if one hadn't been having a sort of conversation just about life in general and making the time for that conversation, I'd have never known that. You know, my father's 90. Who knows how long he will still enjoy him for. But it, that that legacy of those stories and and how he felt about that and and you just get little insights into people that make them all the more real uh, and I think it's from that opportunity to discuss and explore and all the things that light that that light that person up that make them real to you but also when they're talking about the things that were important to them you start to get an understanding about what's important to you in that relationship with your parents or whoever. You know, and I very much, you know, for me, uh, I, I very much look on my parents as some of my anchors in life. And it's nice to have that affirmation of why they're my anchors. But, but you've got to create the opportunity to have those discussions with them. And that's something that can be difficult. You know, none of us, you know, I've been involved in end-of-life care for a long time now. Actually having that, you, you don't go in planning to have a discussion about what's important, although often it will come up if you give it enough, if you wait long enough and create the right uh, atmosphere. So there is something about being more proactive in creating those situations. And that's, I think, what advanced care planning is about. Thank you. So the words are that's really helpful, um, bringing us to the concept of advanced care planning. And you've you've helped us think about the importance of connection and making the opportunity for those connections, and looking at what our values are. Because if we wait to think about those things when we're in our last few hours, or we're in a hospital bed and things look pretty dire, do you think we've left it a bit late at that point? Very much so because you're in the moment of crisis and, and you don't have the time to explore those ideas and, and, and have that understanding. So time is the most precious, precious thing we can give to anybody. So what does good, look, good advanced care planning look like? What's 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 the bigger perspective? You've shared with us conversations you've had with your father, but it's not just about connecting with people. It's about what I would want to happen if I if if certain illnesses happen or, or what else. Absolutely, what would it be? but I think where 
where we must start is with us as as, as people. And if one goes to Atul Gawande's work and, and his thing about what's important to you and what would you be prepared to, to go through to maintain what's important to you? And, and that's where the advanced care planning starts to come. So I think we almost need to have that conversation before there's any sniff of a crisis. <laughs> you know, you know, you'll be aware of things like uh, well-being checks and stuff like that, which people start to get invited to go to get their blood pressure checked and things like that from the age of forty. Well, actually. You know, maybe we should start to think as a as a society, as a culture, that actually we need to start thinking about what's important to us. Well, we still, you know, I think as we get older, that will change. Uh, but 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 also we need to start getting it into our mindset that we it's important we share what's important to us with those around us, because then when some of those illnesses might come along, we start to have a context of what we might be prepared to put up with to keep enjoying the things that are important to us. My observation about being a cardiologist for the best part of 30 odd years now is I don't get to cure many people. I can improve people's quality of life. I can make sure they can live life to the full. I don't get to cure many people. So from that point, I want people to live life as well as they can, no matter what their circumstance. And part of that living life as well as you can has to be about enjoying those who are important to us and and those people understanding so that when you have that moment of illness, you know what you're prepared to put up with to to then uh, keep enjoying life to the full as best you can. And although you're talking from the perspective of a, cardio- of a cardiologist, it reminds me very much of what happens in the dementia field, where the, the talking is all about living well with dementia. And there's a specific thing called This Is Me, which is a, a record of somebody's lives and how they were uh, before they got dementia that they take with them to remind the people around them what's important to them. So it, oh, it's a very, very broad I, 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 thing that you're I talking say, about, Peter, isn't One it? of the inspirations for the work that we're doing in Somerset with Marie Curie was This Is Me, because that's about the person. That's about the human being. That's about that man who can't remember what day it is, but whose dad made bulletproof glass in the Second World War. You know, it, 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 it is, and one of the things, you know, as, as a physician, one treat, tends to get trained to treat a disease, but we're treating a person. And I think sometimes that person is lost in the desire to treat the illness. And so what advanced care planning about is empowering that individual and family to know what's important when we're, we're treating that illness. So, so that we tailor our treatment to suit what is important for that person. Tom, you're a, a truly heart-centred cardiologist. I can hear this in your words. And you may say you may not cure many people, but I remember a certain person who might have seen you for an exercise ECG about 15 or 20 years ago, which was marvellously reassuring. And so you, you did cure anxieties and help. Uh, but but that's, that's allowing people to get on with life and to live life to the full. That's our job. Indeed. So some of us us will have heard the concept of 
of Treatment Escalation Plan, and we're talking today about advanced care planning. What's the difference between the two? Are they the same or are they, they completely different? In my mind, there's some overlap in the middle. You've got the Venn diagram, that little bit in the middle. But, but in truth, it, they are quite different. Uh, advanced care plan is about you as a person. What is important to you as a person? Who are the, do you prefer Radio 2 to Radio 4? <laughs> you have that type of human interest. Um, uh, uh, and what is important to you and your family? Uh, do you enjoy walking your dog? Uh, you know, how many grandchildren have you got? Um, you know, that, what are the things that make you light up as a person? The treatment escalation plan is about is a for my mind is is a medical instruction list of instruction or guideline about interventions that you as an individual might get benefit from and that's very much informing those healthcare professionals who might have to look after you in that latter stage of life about things which might make you live longer but there will also be things in there that will not make you live longer and actually those are there will be opportunity there will be interventions that can be made which might uh, be possible to do, but won't necessarily make you feel any better or make you live any longer. And so there's real doubt as to whether they're worthwhile. Uh, and, and so the treatment escalation plan is really a, an exploration of, of those options for you, those medical options for you as a person. In the, but I would argue that they should be that discussion with your physician should be in the context of you as a person. And so the advanced care plan, which describes you as a person and describes what's important to you, will inform the treatment escalation plan, not the other way around. So, so that the priorities in that are, are your priorities as an individual, rather than those medical priorities for your disease. That's fascinating. So the advanced care planning is about living life effectively and to the full, according to your values and who you are. And of course, that will include death and some preferences uh, about it. But the treatment escalation plan is much more about medicalizing the responses to some eventualities. You know, would I want a, a gastric feeding um, if I'd lost my power of swallowing and speech? Uh, and, and of course, both are important for that devastating uh, circumstance where you have a a stroke that robs you of ability to communicate or something like that but and that's where the overlap comes but the the treatment escalation plan is at the medical end and the advanced care planning is at the person end absolutely absolutely thank you can i pick your brains as you're a cardiologist about one specific aspect of treatment escalation plans that often causes a lot of angst and that's the do not resuscitate or do not attempt resuscitation dnr because it seems to me that falls into the category you were saying earlier of an intervention that we can do that often doesn't save lives so for people with heart disease yes of course you can resuscitate and the success rate is quite good but if i'm somebody with terminal cancer and my heart stops it's actually trying to start it again with resuscitation it's going to be yes. pretty universally uh, unsuccessful, think, isn't it? You know, we've in healthcare, we've kind of dug ourselves into an interesting hole with 
do not resuscitate because the history of uh, cardiopulmonary resuscitation stems from the 60s the observation that people who had underlying heart disease, ischemic heart disease, heart attacks, uh, were the people who are most likely to suffer cardiac arrest. And they were corralled into coronary care units where we could monitor them more closely and deliver a therapy in a timely way, uh, which could uh, return their heart to normal rhythm and, and they'd carry on. And indeed... If they went into ventricular fibrillation. If they went into ventricular fibrillation. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, indeed, if you have a witness cardiac arrest at the beginning of, of a heart attack, your prognosis, if you're treated promptly, is, is very good. So unfortunately, what's happened is that knowledge of what worked well for heart disease has been transferred into other areas. And it has been kind of confabulated with other diseases and undoubtedly other diseases will lead to your heart stopping but it's the disease that's caused your heart to stop whether it be lung disease whatever rather than a, a reversible cardiac cause and I don't think we as a profession are very good at explaining that to people. You know, it's seen as a binary, oh, we can get your heart going again. In fact, if there's been reasons for your heart to stop because you've got lung disease or cancer or whatever, the chances of achieving long-term benefit are negligible, absolutely negligible. There's far more harm done than good. And so what is a much better a much more realistic uh, outcome is that you die with a grace and a dignity. And that is as important to family, those left behind, uh, as anything else that they know you died. That, that, that's a great giver of peace, that, that you know someone died with a grace and dignity. Now, coming back to, again, the advanced care plan, it, it is about, for we as those bereaved is that we see that our loved one is content with with that as an outcome as well and often that doesn't quite you don't quite get there that that's a journey that people have to go on you know that acceptance of the mortality is a journey we all have to go on and for some of us it will be easier than others but but definitely one of the things that gives peace to the bereaved is knowing that the the one who has died was comfortable with life, uh, that they had made their peace with the world. Uh, and, and again, what advanced care planning to me is giving people that opportunity to make their peace with the world. Uh, because once you've made your peace with the world, you can get on with living, however long or short that might be. Uh, and I would make the observation, you know, we've been in hospices. Hospices are not sad places. I, I, and I've often asked myself this, well, why? Uh, you know, there's a, everyone knows why, uh, well, the ma vast majority of people in hospices are, are actively dying. So why is it not, uh, what, why don't you get what we get out in the wider world around death and dying? I think part of it is an acceptance of the mortality that has happened. 
but in that acceptance comes a desire to live whatever life it is to the absolute utmost, however long it is. Um, and that is, I think, that's what you feel. That's the peace. That's the serenity. That's the joy that one feels when one goes into a hospice. Thank you. I think that's very insightful. And thank you for clarifying the uh, DNR aspect, which has bothered me for a while. What you're saying about hospices, we talked before, haven't we, Andrew, about bereavement and the stages people go through in bereavement. And I guess what you're describing, Tom, is that the the last stage that people come to of acceptance and that once you get to that, often after a very long and difficult, tortuous journey, you feel at peace. Definitely. And so with advanced care planning, what you're really trying to do is get people down that journey, walk the path with people who love you and who care for you, walk that path together, which makes it easier. It won't it won't take the pain of it away, but it will it won't take the loss of it away, but but it makes it more bearable. Interesting, because what we're talking about is is our deep fear of mortality as human beings. And and that's because we we fear our ego fears annihilation. Um and uh, we fear what is unknown, as you were mentioning earlier, Tom. Uh, and it really is a big society thing. A big society, that's a, that's a phrase that doesn't mean quite the right thing. That, that really is a thing that all of us um, need to think about in society, yet we each have to think about it individually and, and, and make our peace with our mortality. And, of course, you, know, you mentioned bereavement, um, um, Peter. Um, we will go through shock, denial, anger, guilt, bargaining, depression before we reach acceptance. And that may be very obvious when you're you or your loved ones are towards the end of a long illness. But for, for me, sitting at, for each of us sitting at our desk today, we're not expecting any serious event in the next few hours, although all of us in our professional careers have, have broken bad news to patients. And I have very often said, I'm so sorry I'm giving you bad news, and there is a time limitation on it. However, I drive home, and I'm going to drive home later. I drive a car. And I have no guarantee of getting home. I, th- I think um, we, we all need hope and we all need hope of, of the enjoyment of what's going to happen um, and, and the hope and the enjoyment of every moment that we are here. So I love what you were saying earlier. It's not about dying. It's about living well, uh, because that's the only choice we can have. Definitely. I, I, and coming back to that legacy, it is that knowledge for those who are bereaved that actually we did live well, uh, and and that uh, and the joy of that living well will live on in those left behind. I've certainly experienced sitting with loved ones who have gone on that journey, and those who who haven't and are still struggling. And the difference in the way it leaves you feeling is enormous, isn't it? So it, it makes a huge difference to the person and and those around them. Can I come back to something that you said at the beginning, which is you talked about your father. So advanced care planning, thinking of the future, it's it's for us as individuals, but it's also for the people around us, especially if we're approaching the end of our lives. So are there differences in the way that they, they, they should approach this subject? It's certainly much easier if 
the person who, shall we say, is nearer the end of the life introduces it rather than the other way around <laughs> would be my observation of how it works. Uh, my father is very candid about what's going to happen to him. He, he, he arrived. When I flew up to see him recently, he showed me where various things were around the house and things like that. So he, he's very pr uh, practical about the logistics of it. But, but actually, there are other things which are more interesting uh, in him talking about. Uh, you know, my mother uh, was was much more valuable to me about knowing what was important to him uh, than than where his bank statements were. Uh, you know, so yeah, I, I think the other thing I would say it, it is this is it's not an easy thing to do, uh, and, and from a practical point of view, sometimes having a third party who can who can ask the question uh, and open the conversation for a family can be really helpful. Uh, and that's something which we're exploring in Somerset with our Marie Curie companions. Um, you know, so we have a, a service which will give families the opportunity to do an advanced care plan under the facilitation of a trained volunteer who, who will put it down in paper uh, and then confirm that that's what they think is right. And then when we're happy, we've got it right, then it's communicated into the, the health system. And if people want to use that service, have you got a contact number or website for them? Yeah, so it is uh, Marie Curie, I have a free phone number, uh, and there's an email address for Somerset residents, uh, lat mccompanions uh, at mariecurie.com uh, I'll, I'll send it to David at the end of the, the podcast Thanks and we can put it in the programme notes This is really interesting stuff it's such a difficult subject to broach because of society's taboos and yet you've helped us explore it in a way that Tom seems so matter of fact and so sensible and sensitive as well in the way you've explored it but the question has to be, why aren't we all doing it? And sh should we do it, let's say, on our 40th birthday and our 50th birthday and our 60th birthday? Is it one of those things that we should almost do a bit like the MOT? Or I, I think if we could normalise it, that would be fantastic. But we've got to start with small steps. <laughs> yeah, so, so um, but I, 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 and I think we definitely want to do it when we've got the mental energy to do it as well. So we, we shouldn't wait for when we have a crisis or an illness. You know, I think you want, because then the other thing is that we're doing it in the abstract. We're not doing it because we have to. Uh, you know, and so it's maybe uh, not quite so threatening. That's really helpful. And um, one of your colleagues at, at, at Taunton, uh, one of your excellent colleagues at Taunton, has, has written a book called The Book About Getting Older, Dr. Lucy Pollock, which has a whole chapter on, on advanced uh, care planning and, and directives. And it's just such an important area to explore uh, for all of us in society. And, and anything that, I suppose, anything that gives the power back to the person to live life 
according to their values and according to how they want to uh, is so important because there's the there's the old American phrase or the phrase from the states from about thirty years ago, uh, and, and uh, my apologies, this is not meant to sound to our listeners either trite or cynical in any shape or form. But the 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 old um, saying was, "Well, I'm very sorry, you're entering the last two weeks of your life. It may not be the most pleasant, but we can make sure it's the most expensive." And I know that's a slight um, slight dig at healthcare systems, but we want to demedicalize as much of 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 death as possible rather than end up with it medicalized very much so that that one of the things i think we have to learn again is that death is a very normal part of life and i think in a very sensitive and matter of fact way you've reminded us that thinking about our death is a way of helping us to live better absolutely absolutely that's what it tells us it, it, it says celebrate life enjoy life savor life because it's finite and, and we have to live in the moment. I think we should end there because you've given us such a hopeful message, Tom. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.